Well, I'm excited to have Trevor DeVage, our new lead pastor, here with us today. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, this year, Pantano is celebrating its 60th birthday. We've been around 60 years. Isn't that amazing? And Trevor is our ninth lead pastor. Now, it was 15 years ago, this very month, that uh, I had the incredible, amazing privilege of going through a smooth transition with my predecessor, Tim Coop. Uh, Tim Coop passed, yes. There's a great picture of him. Tim, uh, Tim was an incredible man, and uh, he passed the proverbial baton of leadership to me. And, and I'm so grateful for him. Uh, he, he was so kind and generous and gracious and supportive. Tim did everything he could to set me up for success and to help our church transition well. And, and, and I'm so grateful for all that Tim poured into my life and into the life of this church. And it's my heart to be able to do the exact same thing uh, for Trevor as well. Uh, I'm thrilled that Trevor is our pastor. Trevor loves Jesus. He is a godly character. He shares the same values and beliefs that we do. He loves lost people. He wants to disciple people to know Jesus and become like Jesus. And, and, and Trevor, in, in every way, checks off all the boxes of what I had hoped for in the person who would succeed me. And so I am so excited to have Trevor with us. And, and in addition to all those good things that I know about Trevor, we also get to be good friends. We've been friends for a while, and, and it's, a, it's an incredible privilege. And so it's an absolute honor to have Trevor DeVage as our new lead pastor. Trevor. <clears throat> Uh, I, I love the analogy of the race, and actually it's a biblical analogy. And, and when we think of the Olympics, one of the most incredible and challenging races is the relay race. I, I mean, the runners are running at full speed, and they have to pass this baton on to the next person. And the race is won or lost in the baton passes. And uh, so... <laughs> it's, we practice that. We yeah, practice yeah, that. Yeah. I, I also love, uh, as I mentioned, the scripture often refers to races. And I particularly love the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read these verses to you. Therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Trevor, you are uh, following in a long line of godly men who have led our church. Uh, there's been eight who have preceded you. And those eight, and you become the ninth, those eight are like a cloud of witnesses that, have, that are encouraging you and cheering you on. We've all poured into the work of this church, and now we're passing this on to you. But the key of that verse was run with perseverance. Mm. How? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Mm. That's the key. 
That's the key of it all. And so, as the ninth lead pastor of Pantano Christian Church, the elders have bestowed on you the responsibility of leading our church forward to truly bring the kingdom of God into our city, into our culture, bringing Jesus into our world more and more, leading us to make a difference in our world. And so it's my great pleasure to pass this baton on to you. Don't drop it, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Pantano, Trevor is my lead pastor. I trust him. I I, I am so excited because I know that he's going to lead us into a good and I believe even a better future. And, And Trevor, you have my complete support. I'm going to encourage you. I want to help you however I can. I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. I'm going to be your defender. I'm going to be with you all the way. And it's an honor for me to be able to serve with you and under you as we go these uh, years ahead. And Pantano, I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to ask you to trust Trevor. I'm going to ask you to love him and, and pray for him and his family, especially as they're getting ready to, to, to move here. I'm going to ask you that you would support him as well, that you would walk with him as he leads us into our future, and, and, that, and that you would do for Trevor just as you have done for me these last 15 years as lead pastor, and uh, welcome him in, in, in every way. And so would you stand with me now? We're going to pray for Trevor. And if you're comfortable doing it, just uh, raise your hands forward towards Trevor as we join together in this prayer. Father God, thank you for bringing Trevor to our church. God, thank you for how you have been working in his life, preparing him for this very moment. And now, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would guide him and lead him, that you would protect him as he helps us to bring your presence into our world to make a difference that would be both for now and for eternity. God, I pray that you would guide him, encourage him, strengthen him, give him wisdom, give him an abundance of love, help him persevere in all ways to honor the Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. Well, I just want to start by saying this. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, my family has been ministered to by this church for the last five months. You don't know it. We've worshiped together. I've been a part of this team without them ever knowing it. Um, And I'm really excited for the future of Pantano. Uh, I'm thankful for Glenn. I'm thankful for the elders here. Thankful for this staff. Thankful for all of you. I really do believe what Glenn just said. I believe our best days are ahead of us. Uh, My family, I want to show you my family. They're not here. Um, That's my family. Uh, As you can tell, we don't have fun at all in life. Uh, That picture was actually taken here in November, back there in that court. And uh, uh, my family and I are so humbled and honored to get be a part of Pantano's lineage and history um, and legacy. Uh, And so I promise you, while I may not be a perfect leader, I will always try to lead us to the one that is, that's Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for the men that have gone before us. Uh, would you do me a favor and just thank all of those that have gone before us and Glenn and our team for all they've done to get us to this point in history. They've been so incredible. So I, I never really forget the first time I went to India. 
And I remember we got off the plane in, in New Delhi, India, and there was these sights and there was these smells. And, and honestly, if I think about it hard enough right now, I can still actually kind of recall the smells of being in a new country. And I remember the ministry we did, the places we went, the things we saw, uh, but I remember in particular there was a, a little lesson that we got the first night we were there. My, my friend Ajay Law, he's the missionary that, uh, that we were over there with, and Ajay's one of the most prolific missionaries of this generation. And we were over there to speak at a youth conference that they have for uh, about seven or 8,000 kids that mostly come from Hindu families. And as we were at dinner the first night, Ajay said, I need to give you a little Hindi lesson. There's a word in Hindi, and that word is cello. Actually, do me a favor. Everybody just say the word cello. cello. Right, like the, not this kind of cello, but cello. And he said, here's what that word means. If I say cello once, that means, hey, guys, let's go. He said, if I say cello, cello, that means um, you guys are taking too long. We need to go now. He said, if I say cello more than twice... Whatever we're doing, wherever we're at, you get in the nearest vehicle that's one of ours and we go. Now, my first thought was, why did you have to say it that way? Is something going to go down that we don't know about? We were in New Delhi. We were preaching in an underground church. And there was only one entrance in and one entrance out. And as we were in there, as preaching was happening, there was a man that came in that was speaking in Hindi that I did not understand, but there's a universal language that when somebody's angry, you kind of know that they're angry, right? Unless you go to Germany, they all sound angry all the time, even when they're being nice. (laughs) If you're German, I I get it, okay? And this guy was, was getting more belligerent, and preaching was still happening. So imagine like we are right now. Somebody was up front preaching, and somebody is screaming in the back at Ajay, and Ajay is trying to keep his cool. And I, I, I just had this moment where I'm sitting in the back, and my, I saw my hands start to go like this, thinking we're going to have to fight our way out. The guy left. We get done preaching. As we're standing trying to talk to people, I hear Ajay just start saying cello, 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 cello. And he said it like 10 times. I'm like, he didn't say anything about 10 times. He only said more than two times. So I think we need to go. And we run outside and there's three vehicles and we're in the dirt streets at the backside of Delhi. And like, it it felt like, have you ever seen the Bourne movies? Oh, it was straight out of a Bourne movie. And he's screaming at us. He goes, just get in the car. And we're jumping in cars. I'm like, I'm not even sure if these are your cars, but we're jumping in cars. And we start tearing through the streets of New Delhi. And I'm like, I'm looking behind me. Like, are we in a gunfight? Do I not see what's going on? Are there cameras? Are we, are we in an action movie scene? And finally we get out and everything dissipates. But can I just tell you, when you hear the urgency of a word that you've been told means we got to go, you go. When he was screaming those words at us, there was an urgency in those words. There was a, they weren't just a cute word in a Hindi lesson anymore. They had meaning behind them that, that we needed to go and we need to go now. See, that word wasn't meant for us to meander around anymore. It wasn't a cute phrase to get us out of the marketplace while we were shopping. It was a word to make us get up and move to action. That's what that word was. And today, I want us to to dive in not only how to choose your one word for the year ahead, because last week, Glenn challenged us uh, to choose our one word. And this last week, I've heard uh, people share with me their one words. If I've been around people, like one person told me, my word is adventure, that I'm going to take adventure for the kingdom. uh, Somebody else told me, actually, I, I have two words. I'm like, well, that's a little different than the one word. 
They said, do you think that's okay? I'm like, I think it's okay. They were like, mine is, if only. If only. I thought, that's kind of cool. My word for the year is go. That's my word. And it feels like God has just been preparing me because God told me a few months ago, he goes, Trev, you're going to go. And I live in Ohio. I'm like, I will go anywhere you want me to go right now. (laughs) It was negative 10 last Friday when I left my house. I'm like, get me out of where hell freezes over. Get me out of here. God said, go to Arizona. God said, go to Pantano. God said, go and do something new. And I know in the midst of coming out of a pandemic or in a pandemic or whatever we're in right now, it seems weird as we've started to gather back together in places to tell everyone to choose a word that spurs them to go out. But I would challenge us today, Pantano, that I believe God is calling us to root whatever word that we choose for the year, root it in the commission of going and doing something for the gospel. That we would start there. So so what does this look like? What does this mean for us? Because I really believe this pandemic that that we are in is the precursor to what God wants to do with his church. I would even go so far as to say is I, I don't like the pandemic, I don't like the sickness, I don't like COVID, but I really believe we're going to look back in about a decade as the church and say this may be the greatest gift that God ever gave us. That the church would actually learn some lessons and become the church that God has called us to become as we move forward. And I really believe that God wants to use this moment in time to scatter his church through the world. And in fact, would you humor me, would you write this down today, is that we gather to scatter. We actually gather to scatter. When we come into this place, our desire should be to get filled up so we can scatter out of this place into the world around us so people would see Jesus. We, we have a mission statement here at Pantano. I'm sure most of you know it. If you don't, I'd like to give it to you again. They're going to have it on the screens for you. And it's just simply loving people to Jesus, launching passionate people to do what? What's it say? Come on, church. What's it say? Make a difference. I love that about Pantano, that we launch people to make a difference, like Michael Goodwin. We launched Michael. Michael is leading. I'm so excited and so sad at the same time. I was like, dang it, man, I'm so mad at you. I wanted to work with you. I'm so excited for you because we launched someone passionate for the kingdom of God. That is what God is calling us to. That's our job as the church is to actively be going into the world. But here's our problem. Here's our problem. Is, is these things are really comfortable. By the way, this is the model of the new chairs going in this room. I can't wait for these to go in, by the way. This is really nice. <laughs> this is like IMAX church right here, right? <laughs> get you some milk duds, get you a Coke. I mean, enjoy church. <laughs> but that's the problem, right? Like we've created sometimes in our culture of Christianity this comfort that we don't want to get out of. It's nice to come and sit and enjoy and relax. And I want you to come in here. I want you to enjoy being a part of the body of Christ. But I think sometimes we've allowed our comfort to keep us from the discomfort of people knowing Jesus. I really believe that. And in the church culture that we've lived in PC, (laughs) pre-COVID. That's funny, by the way. That was like the wave of laughter. It was like, (laughs) that's funny, right? 
the churches we've created have been fairly comfortable. I'm not talking about padded chairs or pews. FYI, that, that's the old auditorium here, by the way, in case you're wondering. Some of you guys are like, we've tried to put that out of our minds. Um, I'm talking about our call to reaching our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers. And I wonder, do we actually think about the idea of going and making disciples? Is it on our radar screen of life? I love the thought of our friends finding hope in Jesus. Because I really believe that, that, they, that, that we want the idea of people knowing Jesus. I really believe that all of us have the deepest desire to see our friends know Jesus. But is it on our radar screen every moment of every day? Because it requires hard work. It requires going into the world and making something of people. Making disciples. So here's a question that I want you to wrestle with. I want you to write this down and maybe wrestle with it this week. If you're going to be rooted... What does it mean to go all in for the gospel? If you're going to be rooted, what does it mean to go all in? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 uh, is at the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, It's known as the Great Commission. And, And Jesus says these words. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and do what? What's the word? Make. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So remember when Jesus is saying these words. If you don't know, this is right after the resurrection. So Jesus has died. He's resurrected. Um, This is in the midst of the disciples' emotional roller coaster of his death, of his burial, and now he's in their midst. He's raised from the dead. By the way, if somebody raises from the dead in your life, they get some authority. Can we agree on that? You get authority if you raise from the dead. Jesus says, my authority. And he's giving them their marching orders. And in turn, they're our marching orders. In fact, I would argue our one word should be rooted in the premise of Jesus calling you to go. He's calling us to go. I remember preaching this text a few years ago, and while I was preaching, uh, this phrase hit me. The Great Commission says, go and make, not sit and take. And let me explain. Because it's active. We should be exercising our faith. But what happens is, is we get, we get into our churches sometimes, and we sit, and we consume church. And we get spiritually fat because we don't exercise our spiritual faith. And we sit and we consume and we consume and we consume and we can't figure out why does nobody want our Jesus? The problem is, is we've never gotten up to take him to anybody. And he's called us to go and make, not sit and take. That we would go into this world and help people see Jesus. So in the face of these wavering disciples, Jesus sets the record straight. He's like, I'm supreme. I I have authority. I've resurrected from the dead. You are to now go and make, not sit and take. Go make disciples of all nations. So based on Jesus' authority, we are to make disciples of all nations. Like verse 19 has one main verb, and then there's three supporting participles. Now, I know you're sitting here thinking, am I back in English class? Just for a minute. Like the main verb is imperative, make disciples. But then you have these these other verbs that describe how we are to make disciples. So I want to take you back to first grade for a minute. Now, for some of us, that's a really long time ago, isn't it? 
I'm starting to resemble old age. I'm starting to look that way, feel that way. First grade's a long time ago. Anybody remember what a, wor- uh, what a verb does? What's a verb? It's an action word. Verbs are in action words. Some of you guys now are going in a noun is this, and right? We're going through that in our head right now, but it's an action word. Jesus gives us three actions in the Great Commission in order to make disciples that are rooted in him, that are all in for the gospel. The first one is this word, go. He says, go. Now, there are two ways Jesus calls believers to go. Um, one is, in the, both of them in the text, but the, the first one is just how we read it, that we would go into all the world. That we would scatter, that we gather to scatter, we gather to go so that people will know Jesus. That, that we would go to Africa, we would go to India, we would go to China, we would go to Japan, we would go to Mexico, we would, we would go to uh, Iraq and Iran and America. That we would go into all the world. That's the first way he uses it. But the second way Jesus uses it is actually in this text means as you are going. That's what the word go means. It's not to go something, but as you are going into the world, as you go to work, as you go to your neighborhood, as you go to your school, as you go to your social places, as you are going, make disciples. So that does not let us off the hook of, well, I'm not going to Africa this week, but you are going to work. And you're like, well, I work remotely. As you are going to your Zoom call in your pajama pants and your coffee, make disciples taking the opportunity to help people see Jesus in every avenue of your life. And I will say for some of you, that will mean maybe you need to go across the globe. For some of you, just go across the street. In fact, we have a great mission that we support here at Pantano called Rocky Point. And it's an incredible opportunity to plug in and get a global perspective pretty quickly. I won't say easily, it's not an easy trip, but it's a great, how many of y'all have been to Rocky Point? Just show of hands. How many of y'all would say that it changed your life going to Rocky Point? Just show of hands. See, the same people raise their hands that raised them the first time. And you get a global perspective and it's only a few hours away. For some of you this next year when we offer that trip to Rocky Point, some of y'all need to sign up and do that. So this, as we are going, Jesus clearly is commanding us to a global missionary endeavor. In just that little word. And at the same time, we need to be cautious, not not to create this unscriptural teaching between local and foreign missions by exalting one over the other. We're called to do both. And all of us are called to do it. That, That we are commanded to go, it's not suggested that we go. Jesus doesn't say, if you would like to go, go. He commands that we go. In fact, I've heard it said that that this is the great commission, not the great suggestion. And it's true. So the first action is go. The next two participles he uses um, is how we make disciples. So so he says this, he uses this word baptize. Baptize. So the effectiveness, by the way, the effectiveness of baptism is not some magical incantation that we recite as we go in and out of the water. I don't know if you know this, like where I'm at in the Midwest, there are some people that argue over how you take your confession of faith to be baptized. Do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you say in the name of Jesus? People argue over that. Can you believe that? I'm like, if you've gotten yourself to the point of wanting to die to self and raise a new life, I don't think that matters. In fact, I've just looked at people sometimes when I baptize them and go, would you like your life to be transformed? Yes. Perfect. Boom. Back. 
doesn't seem complicated to me. And Jesus says to baptize, that we are called to baptize. And the effectiveness of baptism, it works because the power and the authority of Jesus is to cleanse us from who we once were and bring us to new life. It's what Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. He says this, And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the what? What's it say? The resurrection of Jesus. Not the magic in the water, the resurrection of Jesus. You're participating. You're helping people participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just so you know, after this service, I think there's three baptisms in our courtyard after service. I'd encourage you, run out there to be a part of that. It's what Peter also talks about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The greatest moments of joy that I see are when people are getting baptized. And my greatest joy, while I'm humbled and honored to get baptized people, it's even more exciting for me when I watch friends baptize their friends. When I watch husbands baptize their wives or wives baptize their husbands or, or, or spouses uh, baptize their children together or when I see children baptize their parents. There's some kind of beauty in that. And while I love any opportunity I get to do that, it's more fun for me to watch other people get to do that for their ones. See, when you're all in, you want other people to be all in too. When you're rooted in going You want other people to understand that. And what I love about Jesus, what he says in the Great Commission, he doesn't say that once you've learned everything you can learn about him. He doesn't say once you have your life all together and you're understanding all together, once you've been taught enough, then get baptized. He says, hey, if you want your life transformed and you want to start somewhere, die to an old self and raise a new life. I'm right here with you. In fact, we have a baptism Sunday on February the 6th. I would highly encourage you, if you've not been baptized, do me a favor. I want you to text the word rooted to 46356. I'll get that, okay? That's a hard number to remember. 46356, the word rooted. If you want to be baptized, I'd do it right now. If you're online with us, do it right now. Text that number. And then he goes from go and baptize, and then he says, Jesus gives the third thing to make disciples is to teach. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is where I'm at. I'm not a teacher. I, I can't do that. I, I can't talk to people. I can't stand in front of people. I, I can't stand in front of a classroom. I would argue you're absolutely a teacher. You teach more with the way you live your life to the people around you than you ever will in a classroom. By the way you respond to the world around you. So what are we supposed to teach these new disciples? Well, here's what Jesus says. He says, to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how am I going to know all the commands? There's a lot of commands in the Bible. This is where we got to be careful, too, because we don't, we don't want to become the legalism rules police, because I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to. In fact, the, the rules that he is saying to obey all the things I've, I've given you, the great commandment is another part of Scripture. It's not on your screen, but he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor. Anybody know how that finishes? As yourself. If we really love our neighbors, if we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we must go and make disciples of all nations. I think the greatest example of this being lived out is in the book of Acts chapter 8. This is a guy named Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And I want to quickly just move through this story with you for a second. Because I really believe this is how we see the Great Commission become our daily mission. So it says, verse 26, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, What's the word? Go. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, what did he say to him? What word? (laughs) Go. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now, I love this. Philip simply goes where God tells him to go. In fact, write this down. We want to go where God guides. Go where God guides. Have you ever had one of those moments where you feel like God's prompting you to go talk to somebody, but you're not sure what to do with that? Uh, can I just give you a little, uh, a little homework this week? If you feel a prompting in your soul to go talk to somebody, go where God guides. Have the conversation. Uh, uh, like a little comment this big could turn into a life change this big. That we would go where God guides. That's what Philip does. In fact, I love this. He doesn't just go. It says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And then he asked this question. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? By the way, great question to ask somebody. The man replied, how can I unless someone tells me? How would I know? Which is a great response. And he urged Philip to come up in the carriage. I love this. All he did was go and ask a question. And this man says, can you get in my carriage and talk to me? Can you come to my turf and talk to me? And then he, the passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and the lamb was silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated, received no justice. Who can speak? But he's, this is all about Jesus. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And I love what it says. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip did what? What's the word that it says there? He told. Philip went. Philip told of the good news about Jesus. Like, I love this. Philip was ready to tell everything he could. He was rooted in the great commission of going. And when he got there, he couldn't wait to tell him what he knew. He wanted to tell him about his transformation in Jesus. He's living out the scripture that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks and give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. By the way, do you think our world could use a little gentleness and respect? Hey, church, do me a favor. Don't get on social media and rant and rave about everything you hate. Let's stop being known for what we're against, and let's start being known for what we're for. If you're all in with Jesus, people need to see what you're for. And it's to start with being for them, for them knowing Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, I I don't know if I can tell my story. Your story is the easiest story to tell. You know it. You lived it. You're not reading a script. It's your story of transformation. Here, I'll give you mine. I wrote mine down. Let me show you how easy it is. I was messed up, wayward, self-seeking, miserable, tired, worn out, busted up, messed without Jesus. But, by the way, anytime you see, I had a professor in college, he said, anytime you see a big button scripture, you ought to chase it. <laughs> That's funny, y'all. Um, but, He transformed my life. What comes after the but is the most important. He transformed my life. We must be ready at a moment's notice to share the hope that we've been given. Not only should we be ready, we should be itching to share it. 
You should be dying every day to share that with you. I love the end of this scripture. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look. Philip didn't say, hey, I think now you ought to be baptized. I love this. After he shared his transformation story with the eunuch, the eunuch's like, hey, there's some water. Shouldn't I be baptized? Like, he came to that realization through hearing the good news. And I love this. He says, why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You know what's amazing to me? Philip didn't lay out the five-step plan to baptism. He didn't make him take a 10-week course on what baptism was all about. He didn't give him 72 steps on how to become a Christ follower, and when you get them all right, then we'll let you know Jesus. The unit goes, hey, can I be baptized? And he goes, uh-huh. And they got out of the carriage and he baptized him. See, I really believe all he did was go where God guides. He just listened. He was so rooted. He was so all in with Jesus that he was able to hear where Jesus wanted him to go. And he washed away the old and put on the new for this eunuch. Why did that happen? I'll tell you why. And I want you to write this down. He was willing to risk for rescue. If you want people to know the rescue of Jesus, can I just tell you, it's going to require us to get out of our comfort. It's going to require us to get out of of our consumerism sometimes that we end up in in the church. And it's going to require us to take a risk to get out of the chair and to go into our world and bring rescue to the world around us. And here's what I'm learning is why am I in Tucson? I'm on a rescue mission. That's why I'm here. Why are you in Tucson? I hope you're on the same rescue mission. There's a million people in Pima County, so I'm told, and 850,000 of them don't know Jesus. Twelfth largest unchurched city in America is Tucson. We got some work to do, y'all. Somebody asked me the other night, what's your vision for Pantano? Um, And I began to think about that, and I think here's my answer, is that we would have 850,000 people in church. And I know what some of you are thinking, where would we put them all? (laughs) We'll cross that bridge when we get there, okay? But here's what I'm learning more often than not is, don't miss this, response to God's will will lead to the redemption of others. Response to God will lead to the redemption of others. For some of you, today is the day to respond to go all in with Jesus. Some of you need to make that decision. You, you do. You need to be baptized. You need to start a relationship with Jesus. You need to go all in with Jesus. But for those of us that claim Jesus, we need to go all in. All in with the mission, vision, and values, what God has called us to it here at Pantano. So what does this mean for you? Honestly, let's stop complicating how we reach people. And I'm not talking about Pantano. I think we do a really good job here of trying to reach people. Let me ask you, how many of you have one person in your life that you know that's far from God? Anybody? If you live in Tucson, that's a pretty good, pretty good chance. How many of you want them to see the redemption and hope of Jesus? Just show of hands. Awesome. How many of you want them to, to know the same transformation that you've experienced in your life? See, to be rooted in Christ is being rooted to go. I'll give you an example. This is going to be a funny statement. I can't wait for your reaction. I took Glenn to a tattoo shop this week. <laughs> now, if you want to see how that played out, just pay attention to our social media this week. 
But we walked in and there was a, a guy in the tattoo shop and we were filming some stuff and I went in and introduced myself and I, I don't know if you know, but these aren't just colored on every day. They actually exist. And um, he was like, hey man, um, what can I do for you? And I was like, well, I'm moving to Tucson and uh, we're filming a video and I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Alaska. And I said, man, how'd you end up in Tucson? I mean, I get it. I'm from Ohio, but. And he said, man, I just packed up one day looking for a new place to be. And he said, well, what are you doing here? Now, that's always a fun question for me. He goes, what do you do? And I was like, well, uh, actually, I'm, I'm a pastor. And this guy next to me, um, he's moving into a new phase of ministry life. And I get to be the one with the privilege to succeed him. And he was like, man, that's cool. And then he dropped a profanity without batting an eyelash. (laughs) I will not tell you which one it was. You can imagine. Did you know what I loved? He had no clue he shouldn't do that. I also love that he had no clue that he's probably going to know Jesus in the next couple years. Because he's an opportunity for me to share the hope of Jesus. And same for you. We all have those people in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to humble, uh, not humble yourselves. I'm going to ask you to honor me if you would in this moment. And, and I, want you just to, I want you to sit and reflect for a moment. I'm going to read some statements to you. And if you, if you would humor me, I'd love for you to just close your eyes where you are. Just close them. And I'm just going to read these statements. And actually, they're going to be on the screens too. So if you do keep eyes open, you'll see them. But... Um, I want to read these. Now, if these resonate with your soul, then I, I just I want you to begin to make a commitment. Here's the first one. I will no longer be content sitting and taking. I will go and make. I will live, serve, and give a message of hope. I will teach by the way I live my life. I will be ready to share my story of hope at any moment. I'll take risk required to help others be rescued. I'll be a disciple maker, not a church taker. Now, here's where I'd ask you if you'd open your eyes back up. This is where the rubber kind of meets the road. And let this marinate into your soul right now. I want you to really think about this. I want to be all in. I will pray for my one. I will get in a group. I'll be generous with my time, my talents, and my treasure. And I will serve to make a difference. So here's what I would say. If you heard those statements, and you're online or you're in this room, either one, and you want to go all in, do me a favor right now. Text rooted to 46356. I would even go a step further. And this, this requires movement on our part in here, in this room. And I would even ask you if you're online. But if you're ready to go all in with what Jesus has called you to, would you be willing to stand? If you're willing to go all in for the kingdom, willing to go all in with what we want to accomplish as the kingdom and the church, would you just stand where you're at? Because I want to pray for you. And after I pray for you, um, we actually have all-in cards at guest services out in the courtyard or online if you text 46356, you can fill that out. But I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that God would do something so revolutionary in the world around you that we can't take credit for it. We can only give glory to him. Let's pray. Father, today, God, I thank you that you're a God who 
who commissions us, who wants us to be on mission for you, that you choose us to, to go into the world, that the church is what you have given to the world to bring the hope of Jesus to. God, that through the power of your spirit, we would rise up and be what you've called us to be. God, that as we are all in, as we are rooted in you, as we're rooted to go, as, we're, as we are rooted to live out the great commission, God, that you would change the world around us, change our ones, change all of those we run into as we are going. God, use us. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray all of these things today. Amen. Church, thanks for today. Do me a favor today. Go to guest services. Fill out that all-in card. Join us right back here next week as we close out our series, Rooted. Have a great Sunday. We love you all. We'll see you right back here next weekend.